joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. It's so good to see you this morning, to have you with us, to worship with you, to praise God with you. Um, it's just always good to, to just be together. Someone uh, said to me this morning, uh, they said we have to be our own sunshine today because it is kind of gloomy and kind of kind of dreary outside, but I'll tell you what, it's always good to be filled with the Spirit and worship, and in those type of moments, it is easy to be filled with sunshine, correct? Now let's try that again. It's easy to be filled with sunshine, correct? Okay, there we go. Wake up a little bit. Get with us this morning. Um, open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, that's where we're going to be uh, here in, in just a few moments as we uh, before we get into that, let me let me share something with you that's in your uh, newsletter that uh, Brian was like, is there anything else we need to announce? And Brian, it hit me. This is the next thing we need to announce. Um, starting um, January the 30th, or on January 30th, we're going to be uh, launching a new and exciting group study. This is going to be on the last Mondays of the month, and we're going to call it Marriage Monday. And what we're going to do is we're going to meet together. We're doing the youth building at 630 uh, and we're just going to uh, take some time to just get together and talk about marriage uh, from, from a Christian perspective, from a Bible perspective, from a common sense perspective. Marriage is one of the greatest things that God has given us, and we want to encourage you in your marriage and give you the tools to succeed in your marriage. Uh, but on top of that, we also want to use this moment as an opportunity for you to reach out to other people and say, hey, come and, come and join me with this. I know sometimes when we invite people to maybe come to worship with us and different things, that maybe that's a pretty intimidating moment, and, and people aren't always real comfortable with that environment. Uh, but we, uh, have a, we're going to take the opportunity through these Marriage Mondays to, to create an invite point uh, for you to go up to a friend and say, hey, I'd love for you to just come and join uh, with me in this. It's going to be very laid back. Um, we're, we're not going to be um, really over the top about anything. Uh, you don't have to worry that anything said is going to offend them or upset them. Uh, that's, that's not going to be uh, our goal in any way. Not that it ever is, but I know that, that sometimes it can just be challenging to invite people to church, per se. And so this gives you an opportunity uh, to invite them to this. So we want you to plan on coming, whether you've been married for a year or 30 years or for however in, in there, uh, this is for, for all, and, and I think that everybody will be able to walk away with something that will enrich their marriage. So mark that on your calendar. There will be child care provided, because uh, I know for some of us to go to something as a couple, now all of a sudden we've got to do something with our kids, uh, and so Jonathan's going to take care of that side of it for us so that we uh, can provide you the opportunity to have that free time. Uh, so mark that down, be praying about that, and be planning to participate. It's going to be a good opportunity for us. As we get into our study this morning, let's, let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for the chance to just be in your presence this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and study. We pray that as we open up your word, we open our hearts uh, to your spirit, 
Uh, may you guide us, lead us, and convict us, God, in this time that we have together today. Uh, may we devote ourselves to you in a greater way as we leave than we were when we walked in this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, we started this series of extraordinary faith, stepping up to the challenge and looking at these moments uh, through Hebrews 11 in particular, these, these God followers, these people who believed in God and trusted in God, and how they went from just being ordinary people to extraordinary people, how they looked at moments of challenge in their life and they stepped up and they faced that challenge. So we started, uh, we start with our text in Hebrews Hebrews uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is last week's text rolled into this week's text. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their uh, commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel accepted, or I'm sorry, by faith, Abel offered to God the more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. I guess I didn't put both of them in there. So last week we really focused in on two things here, but the, main, the first thing we talked about is the assurance and the conviction. What is faith? Okay, what is faith? And, and, and we, we, we go back to this verse so many times and talk about it in so many different kind of avenues of, of this is the definition, the, the holy definition of faith. And we looked in particular at these two words. What do these words mean? The first word there really means our motivation, okay? What is underlying under everything that we do? Jesus is the underlying factor of our life as children of God. If we have faith, Everything that we decide to do, everything we want to do, is motivated through Jesus. And then <coughs> the idea that goes on with that is we, we believe in it and live it so much that it points out the reality that Jesus exists beyond the shadow of a doubt. That this is who we believe in, this is what we're about, this is everything that we have in our life. It is all about Jesus. And then we get to this point, and this is really where our stories kind of pick up uh, in our particular passage, in our particular text, uh, ordinary people become extraordinary when they rise up and meet the challenge before them. <coughs> and so through our study last week, we talked about Abel and his sacrifice and his ability to step up and face his issue with sin. Excuse me. If it would be possible for someone to get me a drink somewhere along the way, I'd really appreciate that. Um, but he looked at his issue of sin. He, he recognized sin in his life and knew that for me to live with God the way I'm supposed to, I've got to address this issue of sin. And he knew that this issue of sin had to be overcome through, through sacrifice and through a specific sacrifice, through a blood sacrifice, even though his brother brings another sacrifice, it wasn't pleasing to God because it's not what God expected. It's not how God dealt with sin. So he took his sin serious, and he faced that challenge and overcame that challenge in his life. And so that now brings us to this next um, person in our study. 
this next uh, hero, if you will, of faith in our study. So if you look in your Bibles, and I forgot to put it on the screen, I'm sorry, uh, but verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Enoch is a very interesting person for, for our se second example of faith. And the reason I think he's a really interesting person to be that second example is because there is so little said about Enoch. And really, when you think about it, there's very little said about Abel as well. These, these first two characters that the Hebrew writer really focuses on, I mean, b between the two of them, between the two of them, there's only, I mean, literally a handful of verses, 10, 15 verses at most, about either of their lives. And Enoch in particular, what we, we, from what we see here, from what we see in Genesis and what we see in Jude, we're going to look at all these texts, we see very little, but yet what is said, when you begin to put the picture pieces together, you see that it is a powerful life that this man lived. So we begin with this question. What was the challenge that Enoch faced? Because that's the premise of this whole idea. When we face a challenge, when, we, when a challenge is upon us, how do we handle it? How does our faith help us step up? Well, the challenge that he faced was the challenge of ungodliness. The challenge of ungodliness. And, and I believe that that is something that as we look at our world, as we look at our society, I believe we get. We understand ungodliness. We, we are at a point maybe in our culture uh, that we weren't at this point maybe 50 years ago. Uh, maybe even sooner than that. Thank you so much. Um, that in many ways there are certain sins, there are certain sins that are being put on a pedestal now and almost worshipped. If you live this particular lifestyle or live in this way, even though it's so contrary to the Word of God, I mean, you're, you're really praised for that, and you're looked at as, as being, you know, so brave and having so much courage, and that is really, that, that, is, that is true ungodliness. When you take a sin and you put it in a place where, where it, is, it is looked at as courageous, sin is not courageous, sin can't be courageous because it is so against anything God would want from us. But an ungodly society begins to do that. As they walk away from God, they put those sins up and they begin to worship those sins and they begin to praise those sins and glorify those sins. And really and truly, it was so bad for the, in the day of Enoch. So I want you to flip all the way back to the book of Genesis. Enoch is mentioned in chapter 5, but you really get to see how awesome his story is because of the events of chapter 6. So let's go to Genesis chapter 6 starting in verse 1. So what you can do with chapter 5, the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of verse uh, chapter 6, is you can, you can somewhat interweave these, these moments together, okay? Because he is giving you kind of a big snapshot. He's giving you a genealogy, but then also as that genealogy grows and that genealogy goes on, you can then insert this narrative of what's going on during these people's lives. So this is what he says. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives as they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. 
the Nephilim were, in, were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children with them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of, the, of his thoughts, of his heart, were, uh, were only evil continual, were on evil... Let's back up. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That is ungodliness. That is ungodliness. I want to I talk about two kind of ideas here, the challenges that, that Enoch faced and, and what was going on here. Uh, there's this phrase used, son of gods, sons of God in this passage, and, and if you really break this down and try to study it, there is, the, there is this phrase. And the thing about this phrase is nobody really knows what this phrase means. And, and what I mean by that is there's no context, there's no depth, there's no explanation of it. And a lot of times in Scripture, when you have something like that, especially this early on in kind of the recorded history of man from the Bible, it then opens up the door to a lot of speculation. What are these sons of God that came down and took, in, took for marriage these these women, okay? And so some people take a very easy kind of explanation of sons of God here is not talking about God the Father, but maybe gods of the land, uh, a very important people. When I say gods of the land, I mean, I mean like royal type, you know, type people. And, and they were very wealthy, very influential, but also because of that very negative Type people, very evil type people, and then they married people that they shouldn't have, and and the generations that they created after that were just awful, awful, awful people. And then you even go for okay, so you go from the easy kind of explanation, and then you can flip the coin and, and go to the complete other side. And some commentators and scholars will tell you that these are fallen angels that have come down, that they're spiritual beings that are now taking for themselves wives. Of, of an earthly creation, and they're creating this, this just negative kind of environment. And, and it's just awful. And, and he talks about the giants and the man. Just it, but we get, it would be easy to get wrapped up in, in that moment, okay, and miss, I think, maybe the most important thing. That regardless of where you fall and who the sons of God are or could have been, the bottom line is what they had done to God's creation, the way they were living their life, was so terrible that it grieved God's heart. That it grieved God's heart. I know that we deal with a lot of ungodliness in our society, but what I also know is that there's still a lot of people that give God everything. I don't think we're to that point yet of grieving God's heart that, that He's even letting us live. That, that it, it grieves us that it lets Him. It grieves Him that it lets that He lets us live. Getting tongue tied this morning. But it was so bad. It was so bad. And so, despite all of that, what, what what's the rise up and challenge? Well. Genesis chapter 5, with all of this going on, with all of this, whether it's the easy explanation or even go to the far, you know, a little deeper explanation, it's terrible. But what do we see about Enoch during this time? 
It says, after he became the father, this is the genealogy, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Now look at this. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. What's the key phrase there, though? Enoch what? Walked faithfully with God. Well, what does it mean for him to have walked faithfully with God? Um, if you go to Jude chapter 14, this is the other text that mentions him. Jude 14 and 15. There's no chapters in Jude, so it's just verses. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy one. That doesn't really say a whole lot either. But I'm going to tell you the picture that I get painted here in, in these two little puzzle pieces about Enoch is that Enoch walked with God, that he was faithful to God, he, he gave everything to God, and in the process of that, the idea of walking with God was not a passive exercise for him. It was not a passive exercise. It was not something that, listen, he was, he was living in a terrible time, a terrible place. Awful things were going on. It was so bad that God was brokenhearted that he had even created man in the first place. And as you continue reading the story, especially through, through chapter 6 there in Genesis, at the end of that section, we're introduced to a man by the name of Noah. And we know that in Noah's life, what's fixing to happen? God's so upset with everything, God's going to watch. Wash it all away. Just going to wipe it all out. That's where it's heading. It is that bad. And he's living this life and he's living faithfully to God. He's walking faithfully with God. But it would have been so easy, it would have been so easy for him to just kind of live his life. Just kind of live his faithful life in his cocoon, raise his family. Hey, you know what? We're going to believe in God, but we're not going to really cause any problems. We're not going to stir up anything. We're going to live faithful, but we're going to live quietly. But that's not what I hear here. That's not what I hear about him here. What does it say? Enoch, the seventh from Adam. What? What's that next word? Prophesied. What does that mean that he did? He went out in this world that was so ungodly, and he went up to people and had conversations with people and said, Hey, you need God. He was faithful, and he was not ashamed. He had a message in an unfaithful world that people could care less about God. They were worshiping sin. They were going through all of this. And he said, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. You need God. You need God. And I, and I ask myself as I'm studying, as I'm studying, why did he do this? And I believe it's because he saw people for who they really were. He saw people for who they really were. And, and you could ask yourself this question. How do we see people? How do we see people? Ron, y'all were at Disney World this week. Y'all saw a lot of people, didn't you? A lot of interesting people. Anytime you get that many people in one place, did you ever see anybody that week and you were just like, wow, yeah. Yeah, it's there's there's a, when you, you go to a football game, any football game, any baseball game, any amusement park, you know, 911 festival, you get that many people together, 
you're going to look around and you're going to go, wow. Somebody's going to look at you and go, wow. You know, but, but I just jotted some things down here. This is not an exhaustive list, but uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty how we are. We see people as old, young, attractive, not attractive, man, woman, nice, mean, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. We see people, we even sing about it, red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in his sight. We see color. We see people as good, bad, worthy, not worthy, lonely, broken, sick, successes, failures. We have a lot of ways we look and see people, don't we? A lot of categories that we have created when we look at someone, we like to put them in a category that makes sense to me, maybe makes sense to them. But how does God see people? That's the most important question this morning. Because I believe the reason that Enoch was able to rise up to the challenge of ungodliness and prophesy and preach and teach despite the ungodliness going on was because he saw people the way that God saw people. And I truly believe if you read the scriptures from beginning to end, you will see this, that God doesn't see people the way that we see people. God doesn't see people the way that we see people. God doesn't see people as educated and uneducated. He doesn't see people as attractive and unattractive. He doesn't see people as old and young and all of these things that, that, we, that we look at. There are two categories that God cares about. Do you know what they are? Do you know what they are? Lost and saved. It's the only two things God cares about. Are you lost? Or are you saved? When God looks down at his creation, and he looks at you, and he looks at me, the main thing he's concerned about is have you listened to my message? Have you received my message? Have you obeyed my message? Have you taken advantage of the salvation that comes from the blood of Jesus? And are you, are you living in a saved, righteous relationship? Or are you not? That's all that he cares about. But our world and our society tells us that we need to worry about so many other things. If there are so many other things that are more important than these two categories, lost and saved, but if we don't see the world the way that God sees the world, if we don't look at people and think about them in this category, lost or saved, then we're going to lose our urgency. We're going to lose our focus. We're going to lose our main motivation to get out there and do what we've been called to do, and that's to make disciples for Christ. But if we don't look at people as lost and saved, if we look at them and go, oh, they're a good person, you know, they're a good person, they're not that bad. If we look at them and worry more about their education or about their finances or about all these other things, then we, not God, not them, then we are robbing them of the only hope there is in this world. When we are more worried about the other things than lost and saved, then we're not doing what we're called to. It's not about the life they're living. Okay? Well, they just don't come to church. They won't come to church. They won't do this. They won't do that. But do you really have the motivation to do what it takes to get them here? Do you look at them as lost and saved? And if you're lost, I'm going to do everything I can to bring you into this relationship of being saved. 
Now, Enoch understood this. And he realized it, and he walked with God every day. And every day he took advantage of that moment, the moments that he had to share the message of God. Now, I want you to also understand something. Looking at people as lost and saved is not an issue of judgment. Because there are some people that would hear these things and, and think about this, go, well, you're just out there like all those other Bible thumpers, just judging people. And, and that's not what we're doing, okay? That's not what we're called to do. Raise your hand if you've ever been called to judge people's salvation. Raise your hand. Okay. Now, raise your hand if you've been guilty of it. We've all been maybe a little guilty of it sometimes, right? But that's not our job. God says, hey, I got this part. I got the judging stuff down. You can't do it any better than me, so just let me do it. But I'm going to give you a job. Your job is to just tell people about Jesus. Just tell them about Jesus. Just share Jesus everywhere you go. One of the most encouraging conversations I've had over the last couple of weeks has been a conversation that I had with um, Andrea Oliver. And, and Andrea's going through a lot right now. She's facing a lot of challenges. Um, but one of the things that she said a few weeks ago uh, that has just really stuck with me because it, 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 carries, it, it carries in parallel to something that Paul says in his life. But Andrea told me, she says, all the nurses at the cancer center know about what God is doing in my life. All of them. She's not going and judging them. She's not looking at them and going, hey, you've got this problem and this problem and this problem and you need to fix this and you need to fix that. She's just saying, hey, this is my Jesus. And this is what he's doing to bless me in my life. Yeah, I'm facing this challenge, but here's how he's helping me face this challenge. And when she told me that, my mind immediately went to Philippians chapter um, 1 and verse 3 where Paul says, I think actually it's verse 13, says, for everyone here, he's in chains. He goes, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. He's saying, look, every opportunity I have, I'm just telling people about Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. Every opportunity. We have to be motivated. Our faith should motivate us to just tell people about Jesus. We don't have to judge their life. That's God's job. We just introduce them to the Savior so that he can figure out the mess in their life and figure out the best way to fix it. Now, we can be involved in that process as well, but our job is to just tell people about Jesus. This is our time. We must be a church that leaves the comfort of our building and brings Jesus into the world around us. Now, Here's the common approach of how to do that. And, and I want to challenge this approach, and, and then we'll wrap up. But a lot of churches, they do this. They go, we're going to focus on the far, the near, and the here. Jonathan, you and I talked about this this week. Uh, I said something to Jonathan, and Jonathan disagreed with me, and then I made my case, and he still may disagree with me. But I'm, we're not going to get into that whole conversation because that might get me in trouble too. I don't know. Um, but a lot of times, and I'm not saying this is totally bad, I just don't think it's the way that God intended. I don't think it's the way that Jesus gave the pattern. But a lot of times we go, okay, as a church, we're going to sponsor all these missionaries and we're going to let them go to all these foreign places and we're going to, let them, we're going to give them money and let them go and do. And then from time to time, we may, go, we may do a local, that's the far, then we may do a local mission trip, kind of stateside and go near, 
but yet our focus here is lacking. You know, we're not talking to our neighbors about Jesus. We're not really investing in our community to save people. We're going, hey, come to church with me, but we're not really sharing Jesus everywhere we go. That, that, if you look at most churches, that's the, that's the way that, it, that it's done. They focus on the far, they kind of focus on the near, but the here is really not as important because that takes more effort. The more effort it takes, the less people are involved. That's just the way, it, that's just not church work. That's everywhere. The more effort it takes, the less people are involved. Now, for some of you, all you can do is support. And, I, and I'm not saying that supporting far is a bad thing. I'm saying it can't be the most important thing. Right? Well, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, and in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is what he says. You focus first on the here then the near, and then the far. Our number one focus in an ungodly world when it comes to spreading the gospel is not Lithuania. It's not. It's Taylorville, Alabama. That is our battleground. We're out here, outside these walls. Let me ask you this. How many of you have made this statement before? I just don't know a whole lot of people that don't go to church. There's not a whole lot of people for me to talk. I just I don't know a whole lot of people that don't go to church. Have you ever thought about that? Ever ever felt that way before? How many people live in Winston County? Anybody tell me? Round number? Any guess? How many? Eighteen. Close. Twenty thousand. Twenty-three thousand. A little bit more. Twenty-three thousand, according to the 2019 census um, that Vicky and Wiley did for our county, all by themselves. No, um, 23,000 people. Of those 23,000, I'm not talking about people that go to church anywhere at all. Uh, 20, out of 23,000 people in our county, guess how many people on the census said they don't go to church anywhere? Anywhere. Period. At all. No church or affiliation at all. Guess how many? How many? Also, not, don't give me a percentage. I don't need a number. <laughs> I can't do percentages that quick. Not quite 15, 10,000. Actually, a little bit more. 10,000 people in our community claim no relationship with God, period. The fields are white for harvest, aren't they? The fields are white for harvest. We have a mission field in our backyard. and We have to take advantage of it. We have to walk out these doors, and when we go to school this week, students, I'm sorry, you got to go to school this week. You've been out for three weeks. I still don't understand how you get three weeks out for school. I never got three weeks out for school. I mean, anybody else ever get three weeks out for school? Teachers, you got to go back this week. I know you would rather not, but you've got to. Colin's on the way to breakfast this morning. She's like, you think they would just extend Christmas another month? I'm like, no, I don't think they're going to. All right? You got to go back. When you walk in those doors and you look at the people in your classrooms and you look at them and you go, they're my friends, they're not my friends. They're athletes, they're not athletes. Alex, they're core athletes, real athletes, and then golf athletes. God, that, that's Alex over here, okay, making that distinction. Not me, Grant, Jake, not me, okay. Um, it's Alex. 
band geeks. That was my group. I was a drummer, so I was the coolest kid in the band geeks, you know? Don't you look at them as lost and saved? Do they know Jesus? When you walk into your job tomorrow, lost and saved. When you walk into the grocery store, when you walk into Walmart, lost and saved. If we want to walk faithfully with God, and we want to stand up to the challenge of ungodliness in our society, then we have to be willing to stand up and share Jesus with everybody, especially if they're lost. Not judge them. Not try to, 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 to fix all their problems. Just simply share Jesus with them this week. That's your challenge. Lost and saved. Stepping up, having an extraordinary faith, and saying, this is the Jesus that I love, and I just want you to know him as well. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the chance to just be together this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to, to maybe recalibrate the way we look at the world, the way that we understand our mission. God, your last words through Jesus, we're to make disciples. Help us take his last words and make them our main priority in life. That we're just so focused on sharing Jesus, that we're baptizing people, we're bringing them into that salvation relationship, we're making disciples out of them so we can send them out to teach and to make more disciples. Let that be our main thing in this year, God. We pray for those that are lost this morning, God. We pray that you will lead us to them so that we can share you with them. Put that burden on our heart, on our shoulders, not theirs. Put it on us to have such a love for you that we want to bring as many people to you as possible. Help us to get out of the comfort zone of this room and to be uncomfortable so that we can be extraordinary in your service. In your son's name we pray. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Lift us to the joy divine. Instagram. Mortals join the mighty chorus. And Twitter. Morning stars began. Father, love. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man.